0: And if you could also turn over to Luke chapter 16 and find both of those places. In a moment when we stand, we'll be looking at both Revelation 20 and Luke 16 together. I was sharing with Brother George earlier this morning that I'm not a person that struggles with falling asleep. I'm one of those guys, I'm usually out within 30 seconds to 2 minutes when my head hits the pillow. I go hard all day, and then when it's time to crash, I crash hard. Uh, Probably about five nights a year on average, I struggle with getting to sleep. And last night was one of those nights, I think in part because I knew what I was going to be preaching this morning. Um, This will be the most sobering sermon I have ever preached in my life. This is not a topic that I take lightly. Um, This is a topic that's neglected by most preachers. This is a topic that many religions have seemed to logic away. Uh, this is a topic that many, um, many other religions will, uh, will seem to put a, a time limit on as far as how long a person has to do this or be there. But I have to say that the Bible is very clear on the topic of hell. And while we may not like to think about it, Christian It's a doctrine in the Bible that we need to understand. For those that are here that are lost, hell might seem overboard or it might seem uh, too sensational or dramatic for your taste or your liking. But what is truth is truth. And it's better that you understand what hell is now before you have to go there for all of eternity. Let's stand this morning for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. Let me encourage you, if you have friends and family who maybe are careless about God and being saved, get them over to this sermon, whether it's via via CD that you can order out of the bookstore or going on our church website and texting them the link to the audio uh, version of it or maybe even putting them onto our YouTube uh, page with this. But um, I hope today that those that are here and then those that will listen to it later will be given a lot of food for thought when it comes to this topic. Look at Revelation 20, 14 and 15. I'm going to read these verses by myself. And then in a minute, when we turn to Luke 16, we'll read responsively. It says there in verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. and Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. As we talk about hell today, please understand that hell as we know it will one day be taken and thrown into what the Bible describes as the lake of fire. I believe that the lake of fire is nothing more than just a continuation of what's already going on in hell. Look over it with me at Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, while you're turning there, when somebody dies, death takes the body, but hell keeps the soul. Hell keeps the soul. Luke 16, we find the story of death and hell and someone who rejected Christ and his way of salvation... And someone who accepted Christ in his way of salvation. Prior to reading this, let me just say that many religions who don't want to believe in hell, but still ascribe to the Bible, will claim that Luke 16, 19 to the end of the chapter is nothing more than a parable. There's one problem with that. God never named people in parables. But we find a man named Lazarus in the story. This is not a parable. This is God pulling back the curtain and showing us the other side of eternity. And two people who made two different choices, one would end up in heaven. In this story, Abraham's bosom, we're not going to dive into the doctrine of why Abraham's bosom. I can talk to you about that later. I believe Lazarus is probably in heaven now. At the time, he was in Abraham's bosom. The other man, who is not named, would go to hell. Let's look at verse 19. We're going to read down through verse number 26. I'll read the odd verses by myself, and we'll read the even-numbered verses, even numbered verses together. Verse 19, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. Together, verse 20, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the ting of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot... Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. The title of the sermon this morning is this hell, a place of horror, a way of escape. Let's pray. God, I ask this morning that you would guide my tongue. Lord, I pray that the intensity would be as you would want it to be. The emotion would be at the times that you want it to be. Lord, if there is one person sitting in this congregation... That is not truly saved. Lord, may this sermon be part of the reason. That they get that matter settled. As those young ladies sang just a few minutes ago. It's under the blood. And God, if there's one here that has not given their sins to the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Has not accepted the extended hand of grace. Has not put their faith in you. I pray that the sermon today would motivate them greatly to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week's sermon out of Revelation, we talked about uh, the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus Christ will come here after the battle of Armageddon. He will set up his kingdom. He will rule from Jerusalem off the throne of David in the new temple. And he will remove the sin curse from the earth There will still be sinners on the earth, but the earth will not be plagued by a sin nature. Thorns and thistles will not grow out of the ground. Uh, Lions will not eat lambs. In fact, the two will snuggle up and sleep together. It will be a much, much different world. That will be the last uh, dispensation or era in Scripture for this planet, earth. That will last a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is going to be released out of hell. And all of those that are only following Christ... Uh, as leader of the world, political leader of the world, spiritually of the world, those that are following him for the wrong reasons, they will, uh, they will leave and follow Satan in his deception. They will march toward Jerusalem uh, to try to overtake Christ. Fire will fall out of heaven and will, uh, uh, incinerate or cremate those of that army. God will take Satan, bind him up, and throw him into the lake of fire forever and ever, where he will live and never plague mankind with his sin ever again. After this occurs, uh, we go to heaven and we find God sitting on a great white throne where the citizens of humanity will stand before God. Books will be opened. The Bible will be one of those books that will be opened. There will be a book for each person with every sin they've ever committed. You won't have a defense attorney because the proof will be so strong against you. The only thing to do will be to plead guilty. Just as a just judge sends a guilty criminal to jail, a just God will send guilty sinners to live in the lake of fire or in hell. You see, there are those today that walk this earth and they blaspheme God. I, I find it interesting that people who claim to be atheists take God's name in vain more than anybody else. Why do you curse someone that you don't even believe exists? One day, though, every knee will bow. Every knee. Philippians chapter 2 tells us about this. Verse 9 through 11. Let me read it for you. Listen closely. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, or hath highly exalted Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. That's every God-fearing man. That's every atheist. Of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. Well, what is under the earth? Hell. Hell is under the earth. Even those that have already gone to hell in their defiance of God and His saving grace, even they will bow their knee to Jesus before they leave that great white throne judgment. Verse 11 says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. You see, each person will come before God. They will bow the knee. They will confess with their mouth, Jesus, You are Lord. As they're drug away to their eternal punishment. Now for the last two months we have studied this book. The book of Revelation. And we, have all, uh, we have been able to draw one simple conclusion from the book. Here it is. Those who exclusively trust Christ. They go to heaven. And those who egotistically reject Christ. They go to hell. There is no middle ground. There is no purgatory. Purgatory can't be found in the Bible. Purgatory is a made-up Catholic doctrine that does not exist. My friend, you either going to accept Christ by faith and go to heaven, or you're going to reject Christ and His gift of salvation, and God will punish you in hell. So what exactly are these two locations, heaven and hell? If all mankind is going to spend billions and trillions of years in either heaven or hell, then don't you think that we should know as much as we can about these two places? Now, some religions, such as the Jehovah's Witness cult, have rewritten the Bible and dismissed the doctrine of hell. Other religions, such as Catholicism and others, teach that one uh, can limit his or her time there and eventually make their way into purgatory and then make their way into heaven. And I've got to say, these teachings are absolutely, 100% false. For those that want to deny that hell is even real, then you have to explain to me why the word hell is found in the Bible 54 times in 66 books. Now I'm going to put some uh, uh some root words here, Hebrew and Greek words for you up on the screen, and I'm going to tell you what they mean in their root. That word uh there's three words for hell in the Bible. The first one is the word Sheol. Sheol and that means the underworld. This is the only word used in the Old Testament for hell. Sometimes the word Sheol is translated the grave. Sometimes it's translated hell. What it's translated hell, sometimes it's referring to the underworld, the place where the saints would go prior to heaven being ready, and it is a reference to paradise or Abraham's bosom. At other times, hell in the Old Testament is a reference to the place of eternal punishment, a place of fire. And so you have to know that in the context of the word sheol, sometimes it's referring to an eternal pit of punishment. Other times it's referring to a holding place where saints would wait for heaven to be ready or it was simply a reference to a body going into the grave. But However, in the New Testament, the word hell would be much more specific. In the Greek New Testament, we find two words for hell. One word is Hades. Hades, and that word Hades means world of the dead, world of the dead. In almost every single case that you find the word Hades in the New Testament, it is talking about the place of torment, the place of fire and brimstone. The other word you find used for hell is the word Gehenna, Gehenna, and that word Gehenna means a place of punishment for the dead, a place of punishment for the dead. It was a very descriptive word to those that lived in and around Jerusalem. You see, uh, the word, the Greek word came from a Hebrew phrase, phrase rather, meaning the Valley of Hinnom. Now, if you lived in Jerusalem, you knew all about the Valley of Hinnom because the Valley of Hinnom was a ravine that ran along the south side of Jerusalem where the rubbish from the city was constantly being burned. Constantly being burned. So to look down at the valley of Hinnom, you saw constant a trash heap and fire. And that was how they would dispose of the trash back then. It would be collected and drugged to the south side of town where it would burn in a ravine. And Jesus would use that word Gehenna and talk about hell fire. Hell fire. And so it was a very descriptive type word. Jesus talked a whole lot more about hell during His lifetime. Then he would talk about heaven. The people that want to dismiss hell have to do a lot of explaining as to why Jesus warned the people about going there. Someone may ask, well then, why did God even create hell? Why did he do that? Matthew chapter 25 verse 41, Jesus himself told us why hell was created. It says there, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me ye cursed into everlasting pot fire then it says this prepared for the devil and his angels prepared for For the devil and his angels, Psalm chapter eight tells us that God made man a little lower than the angels. Angels are uh, superior in their creation to humanity, so hell had to be made hot, hell had to be made horrible, hell had to made uh, be made in a way where even the angels would be punished uh, in in in, uh, in great horror. And so God created hell for the devil and his angels because they rebelled before humanity rebelled. But God nonetheless will send humans that. Reject him there just the same as the angels turn demons and their leader, uh, Satan. Now, let me say this to know God is to know peace. Where there is no God, there is no peace. Can I tell you what the lake of fire is going to actually be? It's going to be the absence. Of everything that is good about God. You see, God is comfort. Hell is torture. God is rest and peace. Hell is depression and anxiety. Every thing, every attribute that God will bring to heaven will be the exact opposite in hell. God is trying to tell the world that if you choose me, If you choose me, if you choose my way, if you choose my Son, I will give you eternal splendor and rest. If you reject me, then you will suffer in a place where evil is played out to its fullest end for all of eternity. I believe that God wants not one man, not one woman to go to hell. But... Sin has cursed our souls. Sin has set us on a crash course with eternity. God allowed His Son Jesus to go through your hell on the cross. For your sins. He paid your sin debt. He suffered your condemnation on the cross. And God is literally, through the death of Jesus, extending down his hand of grace while you struggle and drown in your sin. And he's saying, If you'll reach back up with your hand of faith and you'll believe in my hand of grace, I will yank you out of the ocean of sin and I will give you I will give you eternal life and I will salvage your soul from hell. To those of you that use the word hell loosely in your language. Those of you that talk about going to hell and having a drinking party with your buddies. Let me just tell you this morning. Hell is no joke. Hell is imminent for the lost. You say, oh, not me. I've got a long life ahead of me. I live to be 70, 80 years old and I'll make a deathbed confession after I have uh, uh, sowed my wild oats, after I've had my fun in sin, after I've drank my beer and smoked my cigarettes and, and, and done my drugs and I've womanized around a pastor. At that moment, I'll lay on my deathbed and I'll call out to God to save me and I'll miss hell by a threat. And I've got to say that you don't know when your life will end. The Bible tells us that your life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a short time and vanisheth away. And my friend, I have worked uh, lawn care in graveyards. And I've seen eight-year-olds that have been dead. I've seen six-year-olds that have been dead. I've seen 30-somethings and 20-somethings and 40-somethings. And there are people today that are your age that don't think they're going to slip into eternity. And they're going to die. And if they die without Jesus, they're going to split hell wide open because they rejected the Jesus of the cross. That doesn't need to be you. My friend, the Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't you wait? You don't know when your life will end. Yes, yeah, statistically speaking, you will probably be alive tomorrow, but you don't know that. You don't know that. Do you really want to play Russian roulette with your own eternity? This morning, I do not seek to give my opinion. I do not seek to be sensational. Sensational. I do not mean, intend to speak with hyperbole. Uh, I seek to give you what the Bible describes as hell. This, this morning, let's look at five thoughts about hell's horror. Five thoughts about how we can escape from hell. Number one, notice hell's elements. Hell's elements. Let's jump in. Notice letter A, tormented. By darkness. Tormented by darkness. Turn over there with me to John 3.19 as well as Matthew chapter 8 verse 12. If you're first time hearing me preach, whether it's over the internet or via CD or here in person, let me assure you that one thing that Pastor Lejeune, where it's very hard to do, is to be very biblical. I don't work to give my opinion. I work to give you the scripture and let God speak. You may not like my message this morning. You may think my message is ridiculous or out of bounds or or, 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 or uh, rude or surly, but I'm here to tell you this morning that my message is steeped with scripture. It's the word of God. And if you don't like the sermon this morning, I would tell you that you've got to take that up with a God who wrote the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 19 tells us this, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light. And it tells us why here because their deeds were evil. Their deeds were evil. God is light. But men prefer darkness. I have met many people who have rejected the light of Christ and his salvation. Why? They're having too much fun living in their sin. Oh, I remember serving as a Spanish pastor in the uh, south side of Baltimore. And I went into Baltimore City. And a young man who was renting a room from a family uh, was coming in uh, on a church bus and attending our Spanish church. And I went to visit him. And the people that were putting him up were also Hispanic. And I remember I stood there with another one of the Spanish men from our church. And I gave the gospel to these men uh, who owned the home where this uh, man was renting a room. And the men looked at me and they said, we are drunk. Somos borrachos. We don't want to turn uh, from our alcohol. We're having too much fun in our sin and we don't want your Jesus because we love our sin too much. And I left with my heart broken and those men began to uh, inhibit. They began to keep that man who lived there from going to church. They would bar the door and wouldn't let him leave because of the conviction they were under. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light. Their deeds are evil and evil is done in the dark. Evil is done in the shadows. Evil is done where uh, people who could punish them uh, are not watching and people believe they can commit sin and get away with it. They think God doesn't see it. Let me remind you, God sees all, God knows all and God records all. And there's no sin that you can commit that God doesn't know about. You see, you can fool me and you can fool, if you're a teenager or a child here today, you can fool your parents. And if you're here today, you can fool the police and you can fool a judge or a jury in a courtroom. But you cannot fool the God of heaven. He sees all and he knows all your sin. And he knows that your sin is done in the dark. Whether that is uh, uh, literally or that is uh, figuratively, he knows that sin is done in the dark. Matthew chapter 8 verse 12 tells us what comes of those who decide to choose the sin of their darkness. Matthew 8:12 says this, but the children of the kingdom, this is the kingdom of this world. The children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, I want my sin over the righteousness of God. I want the darkness of sin over the light of righteousness. God says, then for all of eternity, you will live in utter darkness. Now, according to the website, the Science Explorer, this type of sensory deprivation is often used as a torture technique during wartime. A British study locked up six volunteers in dark, solitary confinement for 48 hours to test its effects. Now, just 48 hours. According to the Daily Mail, Adam Bloom, an extroverted stand-up comic, fared particularly terribly. He says at one point he started singing and then suddenly burst into tears, feeling as if his emotions were running out of control. Then I found myself suspecting the whole experiment was a trick, he recalls. How did I know uh, who these people really were? Uh, What if they'd gone home and I was trapped down there forever? He says that the utter darkness caused him to completely lose his sense of time. He'd doze off and then wake up not knowing whether it was night or day. And even meals didn't help restore a feeling of normalcy. In fact, he and some of other volunteers actually started hallucinating a heap of 500 oysters, tiny cars, snakes, zebras, uh, fighter planes, mosquitoes, and even the sensation of the room taking off. And just 48 hours of living in darkness. My friends, that darkness doesn't last for 48 hours. The darkness of hell lasts for eternity. Letter B, we see here, speaking of hell's elements, we notice tormented by fire. Tormented by fire. One of the realities of hell is that it is a place of fire. Take your Bibles over to Deuteronomy 32, verse 22. Let me show you something fascinating, something I uncovered in my studies this week. You see, God's wrath provides the fire. You say, well, what is the fire? The fire is brought about from the wrath of God. And Deuteronomy 32 tells us exactly how that fire came about. Look at verse 22. For a fire is kindled in mine anger, God says, and shall burn unto the lowest hell. And shall consume the earth with her increase. And set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I believe this verse is one of the verses that teaches us that hell is indeed in the center of the earth. It says there that the foundations of the mountains burn. We know the foundations of the mountains go deep, deep down below our soil. And the fire is kindled in mine anger. What? What started the flame of hell? That very first sin in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve chose sin over God. You say, hell is too extreme for me. And I'm here to tell you that you're looking at it through the wrong perspective. You need to look at it from God's perspective. Hell is not overkill for our sin. Hell is a sign of just how much God hates sin. When Adam and Eve chose to sin, it kindled a fire that ran all the way down into the foundation of the earth. And God's wrath toward our sin provides the fire that is in hell. We know that God's wrath provides the fire, but it is the godless sinners that provide the fuel for the fire. Look at Luke chapter 16 with me in verse number 23. And I would really recommend you keep a marker in Luke 16. We'll be going back there often today. Luke 16 verse 23 says, And in hell... He lift up his eyes, speaking of the rich man, being in torments. Notice the plurality of the word, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Some of you that are uh, logical thinkers that know science. You're beginning to ask yourself in question, if hell is a place of fire, then how can hell also be a place of darkness? And that is an excellent question to consider. Brother Mike, if you could get me a bottle of water, I would appreciate that. You see, uh, most flames that we are used to seeing are orange. Some of you have a gas stove and you know those flames to be blue. You see the fuel determines the color of the fire. They have experimented in many laboratories. They've made all kinds of different colors of flames by changing the fuel source. The closest they've been able to come to a black flame is by using a gas called methanol. And it burns a darker color, but it is still not... Totally black. You say, well pastor, if they've never been able to create, thank you very much, if they've never been able to create, create a black flame, then how in the world will hell be utter blackness? And I have to tell you, it is because of the source of the fuel that will burn. You see, mankind will have chosen darkness over God's light. That's why they're there. They've chosen, they've chosen darkness over God's light in their sin. And they, along with the devil and his fallen angels, will be the source that burns. Hell's flame will be pitch black because what burns will be that of utter sin and wickedness. And God compares that to an utter darkness, and utter blackness. And the fuel that burns will be the souls of those who have rejected God. I remember as a small boy, one of my earliest memories... Walking up to a hot stove, seeing the red glow of the electric flame, not knowing what it would do. Reaching my little curious hand up there, feeling the back of my mother's hand on my hand. Wha-pow! Don't touch. But you know me. I waited till my mother's back was turned, and I reached up. And the next thing you heard was screaming and crying. We've all been burned. A couple of months back, I was taking something out of the stove. And as I was pulling it out, the inside of the door of the stove grazed my arm. Oh, what pain! Now imagine that. Turned up hotter all over your body. For all of eternity. Say, Pastor, that's not fair. How can God do that to someone? And I say to you that if you choose to reject the Son of God who gave His life for you on the cross, then that's exactly what one deserves. God says to you, I'm extending my hand for you. Will you accept? And some look up at God and say, no way, no how. And God says, okay, hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You will go there. I hasten, let her see, tormented by thirst. Look at Luke 16, verse 24. The Bible says, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. All he wanted was just one drop of water. You see, his tongue had become swollen. His body had become very dehydrated. Now, milder signs of dehydration include these fatigue, headache, constipation, dizziness, mood change, anxiety, sunken eyes, shriveled skin, muscle cramps, joint aches. If you are severely dehydrated and you refuse to drink any sort of water or water-based product, eventually you will experience heat injury, brain swelling, seizures, uh, hypovolemic shock, and kidney failure, and on earth, eventually death. You see, God must give those who go to hell a new body that is able to be tortured but not capable of annihilation. Those in hell are tormented by darkness. They're tormented by fire. They're tormented by thirst. Letter D, notice, they're tormented with falling. They're tormented with falling. Look at Revelation chapter 20 verse 1 with me. Revelation chapter 20 verse 1, if you still have your place over in Revelation. The Bible says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven. Look here, it says, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Anytime I go to an amusement park, there's two rides I avoid. The one, any ride that spins me in circles with a a very shallow point of center, I don't get on those. I can do roller coasters, I can't get on those. The other kind of ride I avoid is where they take you way up in the air and they drop you straight down. Now, even when I was a teenager, I didn't like that. Okay? How many of you could do that when you were a teenager? Not so much now. All right? Um, How many of you never like those kind of rides? Imagine that sensation forever while you're on fire. While you're in darkness. You say, hold on on, pastor. Scientifically, how is this possible? If hell is in the center of the earth, it's not bottomless. Well, did you consider that the earth rotates? And so about the time you're getting near the bottom, you've been rotated back to the top. Over and over and over and over again. One day God will take hell and throw it in the lake of fire. That will probably fall through some sort of space somewhere. Forever and ever and ever. Hell is a place that is tormented by darkness, tormented by fire, tormented by thirst, tormented with falling. If that's not bad enough, hell is a place that is tormented by animals. Turn over to Mark chapter 9 in your Bibles. Mark chapter 9 and look at verse 43 again. These are the very words of Jesus Christ himself. Mark chapter 9 verse 43. Jesus is using some extremes here, some sort of conjecture or hyperbole, talking about uh, those things that can offend us or keep us from eternal life and that we're better off uh, cutting off or amputating body parts that uh, would uh, send us to hell. Uh, we're better off uh, uh, amputating those and getting to heaven than we are keeping them and going to hell. And if someone is uh, rejecting Christ because their hands are getting in the way or their feet are getting in the way or their eyeball is getting in the way, it's better that you remove those body parts and go to heaven uh, uh, and trust Christ to go to heaven than it is to keep them and go to hell. Look at verse 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell and look here, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Look at verse 44. Where there, worm dieth not. Worm dieth not. And the fire is not quenched. Look down at verse number 46. For sake of emphasis, where there, Worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse forty-eight, where there worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. I was curious of that word worm, so I looked it up in its root form to see what it meant. Can I tell you what it means? It means worm. <laughs> then I begin to think about a dead body, how that it decomposes. And how that maggots and worms are drawn to that body. Now, I'm not attempting to gross anyone out. I'm just tem- attempting to paint a very realistic picture. You see, there are worms in hell that crawl in and out of ear holes, mouths, for all of eternity. Um... By the way, Jesus was reminding everyone in these verses of Isaiah's prophecy back in chapter 66 and verse 24, where Isaiah said this, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. You see, there are worms in hell that... Pick at the flesh of those that are being burned. Revelation chapter 9, we won't take the time to read it for sake of time this morning, but Revelation chapter 9 describes some locusts that are let out of the pit of hell. We covered these in a sermon earlier in the series, but these locusts are fierce, and the bottomless pit will be open, a smoke will arise from the furnace, uh, these locusts will appear from the smoke, and they have, uh, scorpion-type tails, they've, uh, they're, they're fierce, uh, described fiercely, and they will torment men, the Bible says, for five months, they won't be, you won't be able to kill them. Now, this just gives us a small picture of what people experience in hell all the time! These creatures that make the hair on the back of my neck stand up, when I read about them in Revelation chapter 9, these are in hell all the time. And they were specifically created to torment the residents of hell. You see, hell is a place that is tormented by darkness, by fire, by thirst, with falling. And they are a, uh, it is a place where there is torment by hell's animals. We've looked at hell's elements. Number two, notice hell's emotions. Hell's emotions. You see, Galatians 5 gives us the emotions of God in the form of the spirit. Galatians 5:22 and 23 tell us that the emotions that God wants to give you are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. If God is all of those things, and hell is in essence the absence of God, then we can draw some conclusions about the emotions of hell. You see, if God is love, then hell is filled with hatred. If God is joy, then hell is filled with misery. If God is peace, then hell is filled with strife. If God is long-suffering, then hell is filled with impatience. If God is gentle, then hell is abusive. If God is goodness, then hell is cruelty. If God is faith, then hell is the end result of a refusal to trust in God's Son as your only way to heaven. If God is meek, then hell is uh, the fire that boldly and rudely rages. If God is temperate, then hell lacks all self-control. You see, there is no such thing as darkness. Darkness is rather the absence of light. And the Bible tells us that God is light. And since God will not be there, hell will be that of darkness. Hell is a place of punishment for those who do evil. They will be punished in the absence of God. Now, Jesus told us exactly what the mood is in hell. I'd like everybody that has a Bible this morning, please turn over to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 13. I want you to see what I'm about to show you. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 13. It says there, Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away. This is a picture, by the way, of the great white throne judgment. And cast him into outer darkness. Look here. There shall be, notice the emotion, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hmm. Now, the gnashing of teeth part I get. Um, I had gallbladder stones some time back. And uh, it took me about five or six hours from the start of it to get to the hospital. I've never been in that much pain in my life. Never. And I was gnashing my teeth. Some of you ladies here have had babies without an epidural. I I deeply respect you. I don't know how you do it. You've heard it said if men had to have the babies, the world would already be extinct of humans. I, I really don't know how you do it. Some of you women that had an epidural, you don't know how they do it. <laughs> you gnashed your teeth probably. I understand the gnashing of teeth in hell. I understand the wailing as described in other verses. Those are emotions that go along with pain. But weeping? Weeping? You see, that word weeping seems sort of out of place, doesn't it? That word weeping means this. It means to be heartbroken. To cry passionately due to great loss. It means this, to be disheartened. To be disheartened. Why are people weeping? Can I tell you why? Because of all of their missed opportunities on earth to get saved. Luke chapter 9, rather Luke chapter 16 verse 25 says this, But Abraham said, Son... Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, did, and thou art tormented. Uh, 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 the, the the rich man cries out, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham looks back at him and says, hey, you had your chance to have faith. You had your chance to believe. You had your chance to accept uh, the gift of Christ. And I'm left to wonder if Lazarus, while he walked the earth, did not try to tell the rich man about how to get to heaven. If he did not try to witness to him, if he did not say, I know that there's a way for you to not only be rich on earth, but to be rich in heaven. And that rich man looked down at poor Lazarus, who was a beggar, and said, You are a filth. You are unsuccessful. You are a, a, a shame of society. I don't want to have anything to do with anything you think. And that man was tormented because he rejected. And that man is still today, that rich man is still today tormented by the very thought of every time Lazarus tried to witness to him. I remember one day I went out door hanging for Easter Sunday in Maryland. We went to put a door hanger on a man's door. And as we left it on the door, we walked away. And the man was in his backyard cutting the grass. He came running around the corner. And he said, did you just leave some religious material on my door? And, and, and the man that put it there said, well, yes, I did. He said, take it off and never come back. We went up and we took it off his door. And as we were walking to the next door, I looked at the man and the man was crying. And he said, one day if that man dies in his sin, as he falls to the flame, he's going to remember the time the gospel was left on his door. And he told it to be taken away. Oh, many times I have gone and knocked on doors and confronted people about their souls only to be told to go away, to leave them alone, that they were good, that they didn't have time, that they had other things to attend to, and God one day is going to remind them of the time somebody came along their path and tried to offer them the good news of salvation, and they simply looked that person in the eye and say, I don't want to have anything to do with it, whether they were polite or not, and God's going to remind them for all of eternity about those chances they had. You say, oh, but pastor, what about the people that live on the other side of the world, and they're not given a chance at salvation the way we Here are in America. Psalm 19, verse one, says this: "The heavens declare the glory of God; the firmament showeth His handiwork." Psalm 97, verses six and seven, continue that thought. It says, "The heavens declare His righteousness, and all that people, uh, all the people, see His glory. Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship Him, all ye gods." You see, we know from a couple of accounts in the Bible, both the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip reached and Cornelius, who uh, uh, Peter reached, that these two men did not have a gospel preacher anywhere near them. They both lived in countries far away from the truth, but they both took the light that God had given them, and they searched for more truth. And as they searched for more truth, God gave them more light. And when they took that light and searched for more truth, God eventually got them the gospel, and those men got saved. You see, no man will be without excuse. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, you can walk outside and you can look up at the sky, you can look at the creation and you can say, huh, I wonder who made this, I wonder how I can have a relationship with them. And God commands us or tells us in His Word that He will give you that chance. What happens is people look at it and they say, oh, I don't want to believe in eternal God, I want to believe in eternal mass energy that exploded in space somewhere. And God says, okay, you're on your way down the path that leads to destruction and hell. You see, no one will be without excuse. We are all under the obligation to search out and find the truth that Jesus Christ lived and He died for every mankind. We're told in Second Peter, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Number three, we see hell's eternity. Hell's eternity. Boy, if I could circle back around just for a minute to number two. If you're in this service today, or you're hearing this via the internet, please understand, if you walk out here and you scoff this sermon, or you just shake it off, please understand, you're going to fall through hell, and you're going to remember, you sat, and you listened to this sermon, and you rejected the truth of Jesus. It will torment you for all of eternity. Just as much as the flames that eat at your body. Don't you dare listen to this truth and reject the saving grace of Jesus. He loves you and He wants to salvage your soul. Hell's eternity. Look at Revelation chapter 14 and verse number 11 with me. Revelation 14:11. And by the way, this description in Revelation 14.11 can be found over and over again when God talks about hell in the New Testament. Revelation 14.11 says, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Mark 9.44 says, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Oh, there's no firefighter with a hose coming your way to extinguish the flames of hell. They will burn and burn and burn and burn. You say, oh, well, pastor, I can handle it for a little bit. Oh, no, it won't be a little bit. It'll be forever and 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 ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever Our minds cannot even begin to comprehend an object that doesn't have a beginning. And we can barely comprehend objects that have no ending. But my friend, God created you with a body that will one day die and lay in a casket. But He put a soul inside that body of yours that will live forever. It will not die. Just because your body takes the last breath here does not mean that your soul ceases to exist. Your soul lives forever. And oh, my friend, as bad as hell is, heaven is just the opposite sweet. It's up to you to make that decision. That brings us to number four, hell's entrance. Hell's entrance. I've been asked this question many times. Here it is. Some of you here today might be thinking this very question. Pastor Lejeune... How could a loving God send someone to such an awful place? We've all either been asked that question or thought that question ourselves. Will you please engage with me intellectually just for a minute? Will you listen to me? The premise of the question is wrong. How could God, a loving God, send someone to an awful hell? The premise of the question is wrong. You see, God does not choose to send anybody to hell. You choose to send yourself to hell by rejecting the gift of Jesus for eternal life. Let me draw up an analogy for you. Can everybody look this way? Don't read ahead the passage. Okay, look at this way. We'll get to the passage in a minute. If you were sitting on death row for crimes that you had done, and I walked in your jail cell, And I said, I'm willing to go into that room and take your lethal injection for you. And you looked at me and said, nah, I'm good. Or, oh, how can you be so narrow-minded to only offer that? Or, I don't believe you. Okay. 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 I'm extending my grace to go die in your death row and let you back into the, the population. And by the way, you're not just going into the population. You're going to go live like a multi-billionaire would live. And you look at me and say, nope, you're too narrow-minded. Nope. I, 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 don't, I don't think that uh, uh, I, I want to do that. And then I turn around and walk away and you say to yourself, how could Pastor Lejeune, let me die like this. You are the fool that chose to die yourself. Jesus Christ, He stepped up to, the, to, the, to, to, to you and He said, I will go through hell on the cross. All you got to do is believe and I'll give you the gift of eternal life. And some people shake their fist at God and they say, I don't want to do it that way. And you know what you do? You offend a holy God. Now, with that offense in mind, look at Matthew 13, verse 41. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things. Look here. That offend. That offend. And them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, Uh, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Or, hey, if you've got ears to hear, pay attention. The Son of Man is going to have His angels gather all of those that offend. You say, Pastor, what is the entrance point into hell? The entrance point into hell are all of those people that reject the Son of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and His payment, His grace on the cross. Oh, don't listen to this sermon today and look up at Jesus as He died on the cross and rose from the dead and say, nope, I'm good, or I'm not going to accept that. The Bible's a narrow-minded book. You say, Pastor, people don't say that. Oh yes, they do. He made the world. He gets to make the rules. And you don't get to mock his rules. He offers for you freely the gift of salvation. He has his hand extended to pull you out of the gutter of your sin. And he says, just believe and receive. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God hath raised Him, Jesus, from the dead. And thou shalt be saved or rescued. Rescued from hell. Rescued to heaven. For with a heart, man believeth in the righteousness. And with a mouth, confession is made in salvation. God is in the lifeboat right now. And He's saying to you, you're drowning in your sin. You're going to die and go to hell. Will you let me save you? Just believe in my Son. And what He did on the cross is resurrection from the dead. And you will avoid that entrance place to hell. You say, Pastor, it can't be that simple. It is the Bible says you must come to Jesus with child like faith. The Bible says broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go in thereat. at. But narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal and few there be that find it. Today, the path is narrow because it's almost so simple. People trip over the simplicity. But I'm here today to tell you that you don't have to go to this awful place. You just must confess your sin to God or rather you must just believe that Jesus died for you and accept his way into heaven. There really only is one entrance into hell. Can you hear me with this? Let me make it really simple. Hell will only be filled with people who chose not to believe in Jesus. That's it. That's it. Murder does not send somebody to hell. Suicide does not send somebody to hell. Adultery doesn't send somebody to hell. A lack of belief in Jesus and his death on the cross for your sins is the only thing that will seal your fate to hell. That's it. question is really simple for you today. Have you believed in Jesus? Now for those of you here that are saved, let me give you one more thought and I'll be finished. Number five, notice hell's evangelists. Hell's evangelists. You say, Pastor, what in the world? Let's finish the sermon in Luke 16, verse 25. I think one of the big... errors of churches today is their unwillingness to look at hell. I think that Christians would be more sincere, more authentic, more on fire for God, excuse the pun, if they understood how hot and how bad hell is. Look at verse 25. And Abraham said Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And between all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us. That would come from thence. Verse 27. Then he, the rich man, said, I pray thee, therefore, I beg you, I pray thee, I plead with you, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, uh, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have... 5 brethren, that he might testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Uh, this rich man is falling through hell. And once he realizes that he cannot be comforted in his torment. His very next request is. Would you please let Lazarus come back from the dead? Would you please have Lazarus go to my father's house? I've got five brothers. I do not want them to come here. Somewhere. Somewhere in hell. There is a former resident of Stratford. Oh, there's a former resident of Shelton, or of Derby, or of Trumbull, or of Milford, or of Bridgeport, or of New Haven, or of Monroe, or of West Haven, or somewhere that lived in Connecticut, and they're crying out, I have family! I love that family! Will somebody please go tell my family about Jesus? I don't want them to come here! If I can let them out of hell for just a moment, they would make a beeline to their family and in their pain, in their torment, they would grab their family by the shirt and they'd say, please, trust Jesus. You don't want to come here. You don't want to go there. Please. You know, those people in hell, they hope that those of you listening to the sermon today, that you will not... Look at the people you pass in the store and on the street as just another person, but you'll see their eternal soul. And you'll realize that broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal. The chances are the people you pass are on their way to hell. And you and I must tell their eternal soul about Jesus. You say, oh, but pastor, I don't know what to say. Then you better figure it out. You say, oh, but pastor, I, I, I don't know what they're going to think about me. Do you know what they're going to think about you when they're falling through hell? And you sat in a waiting room with them and you were too embarrassed to invite them to your church? Tell them about Jesus. They're going to think, why didn't you tell me? You were sitting right there. I would have listened. I would have listened. I was your neighbor for 30 years and you never to once told me about Jesus. I was your coworker. I worked on the same assembly line as you. I worked in the cubicle next to you all those years. And you were too embarrassed what I think about you. And now I'm in hell because you would not be bold enough to open your mouth and invite me to church. You see, one day, one day, one day, either they're going to feel guilty about rejecting your gospel. Or one day, they're going to hate you as they fall through hell because you wouldn't tell them. I preach this sermon with great passion today, but I preach this sermon out of a heart of love. Love, one, for those of you here that are lost, I do not want you to go to hell. I want you today to accept the grace of God, the death of Christ on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his power over death. I want you to go to heaven. But for those of you here that are already saved, boy, we've got our work cut out for us. Why do we have a church? Jesus told Peter, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My friends, we're at war with hell. They're trying to snatch up as many souls as they can. And it's up to us to be the salvation station that keeps them from hell. Today, it's high time some of us... Got on fire for God in our heart and said, I'm going to get on fire for God so they don't have to burn in fire in hell. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. How many here this morning say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm not going to go to this terrible place because I accepted. I believed. That you, would you unashamedly hold your hand up and hold it up high? I know I'm going to heaven. I have put my faith in Jesus. You can put him down. To those of you that didn't raise your hand, this might be your first time hearing me preach. I promise you, I don't preach this hard very often. I promise you, I don't preach on this topic as often, near as much as I ought to. But I also promise you that everything I said today is true. You're faced with a choice. Jesus Christ stood at your death row. He went through death already for you. Don't die and go to hell after he's already gone through hell for you. Boy, you need to humble your heart. You need to repent from whatever it is you're trusting in to get you to heaven. And you need to accept Christ. You say, oh, but I'm a good person. God is going to open up the books of your life one day, and it's going to be for both the weak and the great. And even for the great, the list of sins will condemn them to hell. Unless you have the righteousness of Jesus laid over your sins, my friend, that hell is going to eat you alive. Well, today you put your faith and trust in Jesus right there. Will you sit? Will you call on the name of Jesus to save you? Will you simply just repeat this prayer after me? Believe it in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. Right where you're at, just say, dear Jesus, under your breath, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner I know I deserve hellfire for my sin. Jesus, I know that You died on the cross and You suffered my hell in my place. I extend my hand of faith and I believe in You and You alone to save me. Come into my heart and my life. Take me to heaven. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant every word of it from your heart. Would you just slip your hand up so I can rejoice with you. Is there one here? Is there one here? Don't be ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of you when he died on the cross. Is there one here that says, I prayed that prayer and I meant it? How many here today say, Pastor? I'm afraid that the evangelists of hell that can't get out have a fire for the lost that I honestly just don't have. God, Pastor, needs, Pastor, God needs a light of fire in my heart to love the lost and warn them about the impending judgment. Tell them about the love and grace of God. Pastor, would you help me just not see people but see their souls? to be quick to witness, to be quick to invite to church, to be quick to get them to someone who can share, even if I don't know how. If that's you today and you're here, would you slip up your hand? Pastor, please pray for me that I'll have the intensity I ought to have. How many here today say, Pastor, my problems don't seem as bad after listening to that sermon, but I am going through some struggles right now, and I need a loving God to just show himself real to me during this difficult time. that's you, would you slip up your hand? In just a moment, Brother Owens is going to stand right down here in front of the Lord's Supper table. He would love to take the Bible and answer any questions that you have that is keeping you from heaven. Before I pray, I want to just say one more thing. I believe that there will be people who sit on the pews of Baptist churches for years that go to hell. Being a Baptist does not save you. Going to a Baptist church does not save you. Are you really going to go to hell because you were afraid of what the church would think about the shell game you've been playing? There is not a single person that ought to stand between you and heaven. Don't you let the opinions of others cause you eternal torment. You're better off walking the aisle today taking... Brother owns off to the side or he can get a lady to take a lady off to the side and making the decision to trust Christ. I've known deacons' wives and pastors' wives to get saved. Don't let your prominence or your position or your reputation stand between you and heaven. Oh God, I pray that you would work in our midst during this invitation. Lord, may you break our hearts for the lost. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The piano is playing. The altar is open. How about it today, Christian? Are you as burdened for the lost as you ought to be? If you're here today and you're not saved, you don't know you're going to heaven. What are you waiting for? Do you want the thought of this sermon to torment you for all of eternity? Will you lay your pride to the side and humble your heart and allow the saving grace of Jesus in? If you're here today and you've been saved, you've not been baptized, our baptismal waters are ready. We would love to baptize you, help you make that next step of growth in faith in Christ. The baptismal waters don't save you, but they identify you with the one who has. If you've been saved and baptized, if you've not yet joined our church, we'd love to have you be a member of our church. You can come forward and we give you more information on that. Let's make decisions for the Lord, whether here at the altar or in our pew this morning. You can look this way. Thank you very much for your attention and service today. Some of you here know people who are think life's just a total joke. They, they think life's just one giant party. They have no time for God, truth. Will you share this sermon with them today? Sometimes a sermon like this can rattle a cage, can... Bring someone around. In Jude, the Bible says, and of some having compassion, make a difference. Of others, saved by fire. Some people are saved just by understanding the compassion of Christ that he had on us. Boy, well, other people are a little bit more hard-headed. They need to be dangled over hell before they'll get serious about God's grace. So share this with someone who is God-denying, who is... Uh, playing games with life, and I hope that will help. Tonight, Brother Mike Syrett will be preaching, one of our deacons, and we're going to be having snow cones after church. It's going to be a lot of fun. Next week, Brother Owens will be preaching, and we'll be having pie after church, and we're asking you to help us provide the pie. Now, no pizza pie, okay? You know, like dessert pie, so... There are um, there are sign-up sheets in the, in the lobby as far as um, what to bring if you didn't sign up in Sunday school. But do that. Get your kids here. They'll enjoy that. You'll enjoy that, and we'll fellowship together. Tonight, 6 o'clock, be back. Brother Syrett's going to preach for us. Looking forward to that. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. If you're visiting with us today, thank you so much for being here. Brother Jake Hawley, could you close us in prayer?